gap has been since our last episode. This episode was actually recorded at the end of last year. However, I was almost immediately sidelined with my ability to continue with production at that time. Uh, But I'm on the mend now, so hopefully with a bit of luck, you will see far more episodes from the Mighty CIC very soon. So with that, I bring you episode 25, our review of Kingsman, The Secret Service. Take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. To the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Media Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Even the British handouts Coming to you from an undisclosed location housing a used lair purchased on the cheap from a Blofeld, it's a Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC. And in the immortal words of Eddie Murphy... Merry New Year. <laughs> As we are Happy Christmas. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Merry New Year. <laughs> I suppose better late than never. We're giving you a bit of a uh, refresher course for the uh, movie that is now out, which is uh, The King's Man. And we are doing our review today on Kingsman, the Secret Service, the one that started it all. So. Woo-hoo! Very excited to uh, get into that. Jason, have you had a relatively decent uh, holiday season (laughs) thus far? I have no complaints. Have no complaints. Me neither. There there were many Spider-Men. Many Spider-Men. In in my holiday weekend. And so uh, there was much rejoicing in the eighth of Instral. I see. I see. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Yes. I had a refresher course in No Time to Die briefly. Mm-hmm. I was uh, reminded that the movie is pretty decent, but it's a buzzkill at the end. That's the biggest thing for me. I just mm. feel like it's a bit of a buzzkill. Yeah, well, you know, spoilery anyway. and all that. We can't talk about buzzkills. Okay. But, uh, I suppose not. I suppose not. We haven't even reviewed it yet. So. I think, I, yeah, I could say, I think we had a moratorium <laughs> that until it was basically where you could get it on some sort of a streaming service that we were going to. Ah. Keep our keep ourselves on the download because we could stream it and then do a review and then spoiler ah. the fuck out of it. But uh, <laughs> ah, all right. Well, I will say no more about that. But uh, yeah, because there's absolutely absolutely nobody on this podcast is even going to watch that damn movie. So oh. until we review it, uh, so no, no, nobody's seen this movie. <laughs> why, why would why would we ruin it for them? That's right. That's right. But uh, we're not here to talk about Bond today, anyway. No, we are here to talk about how manners maketh men. Indeed. Indeed. Well, should we get into it? We should. What do you see? I see potential. Kingsman is an international intelligence agency operating at the highest level of discretion. If you're prepared to adapt, you can transform into a spy. Interested? Oh, yes. Son of a bitch. All right. Kingsman, The Secret Service, released in 2014, directed by Matthew Vaughn of, well, Kingsman fame. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
He also did Layer Cake, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class. He also produced Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Mm-hmm. And he's also doing the upcoming Argyle, the Secret Agent movie with Henry Cavill and a whole host of really awesome people. So I'm very excited for that, especially considering after re-watching this movie, I realized just how fantastical it is. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious to see if he keeps it in that vein for Argyle or if he dials it back just a notch. I, I feel I feel like he's going to dial it back a notch. I think, honestly, this was his homage to it the really 60s was. and 70s James Bond movies. I yeah. feel like the Argyle one's going to probably be his homage to the Daniel Craig era. Yeah, I would agree with that because I feel like this movie is almost like... Um, uh, they always accuse Tarantino of doing of being this type of director. I feel like Tarantino has a has a way of just sort of imitating a very specific style or an era of movies. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's kind of what Matthew Vaughn does in this movie. He kind of tries Absolutely. to imitate a vibe. And so I don't think he's not trying to capture any sort of era, I think, with Argyle. So. No, and I, you know, I saw, so jumping right off topic as we go, even (laughs) at the beginning, um, I I was watching some, it is what we do. It's it's what we're known for. Um, I was watching some of the featurettes because I I have it on um, streaming. So I was watching some of the featurettes and, Uh you know, they produced this directly with um, Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons, who were doing the comic book version right. of it which differs greatly i noticed in that, tone you know. and style from mm-hmm. what the movie is mm-hmm. and he said it matthew vaughn said it that well yeah i'm doing it that way on purpose this is my version of the story mm-hmm. and it's clearly because he wanted to make a roger moore movie <laughs> yes and he couldn't get roger moore to do it because he was dead um right also 105 but um (laughs) but yeah no i agree he he was definitely shooting for that vibe kind of mixed in with the the mid 2000s action yes there is a little bit of pierce brosnan going on matrixy iteration of violence matrix definitely some matrix definitely also i got a little bit of Pierce Brosnan era Bond vibe coming yep. through a little bit here and there. Yeah. And so that that's great. I mean, I think after I watch it, somebody asked me what I thought of the movie when I saw it in the theaters and I'm like, that's uh-huh. the best damn James Bond movie I've watched in like 30 years. Well, and it's interesting you say that too, because, and we'll, we'll get to it, but I'll just skip ahead right now and say there's this very specific scene in the movie where Harry, uh, sits down with Valentine and they have a talk about old spy movies. movies. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's basically Matthew Vaughn's take on what he thought about the Bond movies or how, or, and what his take is of Bond movies now, because right. Valentine, it feels like Valentine is literally speaking on behalf of Matthew Vaughn right there. Right. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but I, understand where you're coming from as far as that's the best damn bond movie i've seen in a while (laughs) because it's all fun there's no doesn't take itself seriously it's not meant to it's very tongue-in-cheek and it's it's super fun i just think this movie is super fun i I mean i think it jumps the shark in the sequel but but this one man it's great i love this one even with the shark jumping in the sequel i still love the sequel yeah. For everything that it isn't. 
I think at that point. <laughs> so, uh, as you mentioned before, the movie's based on the comic book, the secret service by Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons, uh, the screenplay adaptation by Jane Goldman and Matthew Vaughn. The cinematography was by, uh, George Richmond, who's done lots of stuff, but mostly as a camera operator after this movie, however, he went on to do the Kingsman sequel, tomb Raider, uh, the movie Free Guy, and he's also doing the Argyle movies. So Free Guy, that was, I need that to was see a, that. I've heard really good things about that. It was a great movie. Yeah, I'll yeah. definitely check that out. By the numbers, it did fantastically. Um, the budget for the movie was ninety-four million, and the movie made four hundred and four point five million worldwide. So four times the budget. You're you're doing pretty good. That's not too shabby. No, no. Yeah, after you you know you paid. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, his cut, and Colin Firth, his cut. <laughs> right. And then Taron Edgerton probably got a fraction of what either one of those two uh -huh. guys got. <laughs> Hopefully he did sign the contract uh, for three movies, so he was able to redeal on the second one. Right. So uh, music-wise, uh, Henry Jackman, who we have talked about before on here. with I loved him in Wolverine. Yeah, he was he was great as Wolverine. Oh wait, that's huge. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> but he did uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, uh, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, and he works frequently with Hans Zimmer. I thought it worked fine. Um, to be honest, I think music-wise on this movie, I actually liked the needle drops more so than the score. Yeah. Particularly, I thought it was fun, which <laughs> the listeners won't know this, but we know this, and I will just sort of let the listeners in on this, is that when you first jumped on this, this Zoom call, I was playing uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Give It Up, <laughs> because that song is so great when everybody starts basically killing each other. <laughs> it's such an excellent needle drop. I mean, the score is fine. But as as my wife pointed out while she was watching with me, very Avengersy. Yes, absolutely, very Avengersy. Yeah, and you know most of that second gen or that that most of the Avengers movies picked up everything from Winter Soldier as it continued forward because uh, of the Russo uh, brothers. Right. But I, there were some that I felt like they just straight up swiped. Oh yeah, it felt a little genericy in that in that regard. There were some moments where it was like, haven't I heard this in a about five other movies before this <laughs> but you know also there were some there were some pretty good bondy cues in there as oh, well absolutely oh yeah I, I for sure i mean so he was he it felt like the music was doing what matthew vaughn was trying to do mm -hmm. with the movie it wanted it was trying to cram in 70s spy with 80 or with, with current action thrillers but mm -hmm. throwing in a little bit of, you know, that auteur Tarantino yeah. odd music pieces in there. Like, that's exactly what the movie is. Oh, yeah, the absolutely. is exactly what the movie is. Yeah. So in that respect, he succeeded in, in doing what was asked of him. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely. I would absolutely let him write the score for my life story. <laughs> <laughs> so... Looking at the uh, actors and and all that sort of thing in the uh, in the Bond category, so to speak, we have the the tooth, the would be Bond, and the current Bond. Uh, we have Eggsy or Gary. Nobody calls him Gary. It's just it's just Eggsy. Just played Eggsy. By, 
played by uh, Taron Edgerton, who um, I thought did a good job. I kind of liked him as sort of the British street smart kid coming up in a rough part of town with no dad right. and and an abusive stepdad. Like he played the part well, definitely, and kind of out of character as far as who he is in reality. Because sure. he's he's not that guy. I mean. I would say that's good acting. (laughs) I was acting. Brilliant. Exactly. And then we had, uh, of course, Colin Firth as Harry Hart slash Galahad. Um, My biggest observation about him is that I was really impressed with how physical he was able to be. Because I don't think I've ever seen Colin Firth do action prior to this movie. No, not at all. He was quite capable, actually. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, I, I saw or heard in one of those featurettes that he did over 80% of his own stunts. Wow. I wonder if he was just sort of waiting for that opportunity and no one had really given that to him prior because he just sort of got typecast as this romantic leading man. And so he never got to do the this other that, style. And, and I think he just rocked it. Well, absolutely. Because I think at, at its core, his version of the super spy is mm-hmm. the gentleman first. Yes. Super spy second rather than Bond, who's basically the badass that comes off as a gentleman when he feels it's appropriate. Right. But he's not actually the gentleman. It's almost flipped with this. Exactly. And so you needed to have that. That's why he works so well, because you needed that what he is normally cast as to be the principal character that he assumes. He already sort of oozes that. Exactly. The fact that he was able to do the physical stuff is just a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because they could have easily just like slid in, you know, some sort of stunt man for him and right rubber mask. <clears throat> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he did a he did a fantastic job. And then also, um, I really liked uh, Sophie Cookson, who played Roxy, and that was my biggest thing that I had a problem with actually in the sequel to Kingsman was the fact that they killed her off straight away. I was so angry about that because one of the things that I really enjoy about this movie is that they gave Roxy of true character arc. They, Mm -hmm. she was a fully fledged character, not just some, you know, bimbo type chick. She was very, very capable, very, very smart. And we got to see her overcome her own fears and, and, and her own hurdles. She was able to overcome those. And so it was, I was so bummed when they just like, eh, she's dead now. You know, in well, the second but, one, but they I understand. Give, they had to I give know. gravity to the plot and everything. Plus, there were a lot of love potential love interests in number two. Right. Yeah. That it would have started to get confusing if you had <laughs> which one Exy was yeah. supposed to be with. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> right. Speaking of love interests, if you can call it that, um, <laughs> we then had Princess Tilde or Tilda. I'm not sure. Tildy. Uh, Tildy. Tildy. Played by uh, Hannah Alstrom, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she was given one note to play and she played that note. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, Mark Strong being uh, Merlin, who was fucking awesome. Just I, I will watch Mark Strong in anything. Honestly, I would watch him read an encyclopedia. I would watch him to watch those fabulous jaw muscles. Oh, move. my God. The man. I mean, he was built to play in spy movies whether he's wearing a hairpiece or not (laughs) and thankfully most of the time is not and then of course we have the one and only samuel l jackson as valentine 
Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel, yes. Samuel L. Jackson. Y'all talk so funny. (laughs) Y'all talk so funny. (laughs) Who is fabulous. I loved the vocal affectation that he put on for this. Like it was so such an interesting, I don't know if that was his idea or somebody else's, but fantastic idea. (laughs) I hope I hope it was his. I hope the whole thing from head to toe was him. And I appreciated that he kind of ratcheted back the the f-bombs too like yes you know whether that was a move by matthew vaughn or whether that was by him or a little bit of both i i really enjoyed the fact that he actually pulled that back so that well and he was squeamish at the sight of blood that was so great in and of itself yeah he's just a great character like a fully fledged character He's he's not just samuel l jackson planted into a movie well, he 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 was a Bond villain, right? He had that interesting thing about him. Yes, that exactly. made him who he was. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, Michael Caine. We have Michael Caine as Arthur, who uh, I mean, it's kind of perfect that he's that he's the head of the Kingsmen. I'm not going to debate you on that. <laughs> I think that anyone else in that role would have been positively awful. <laughs> exactly they didn't give him too much to work with but michael kane is always gonna that was definitely one of his uh movies that bought something for him you know oh yes it's definitely that was definitely uh i wasn't doing it for the art i found a house off the french riviera that i absolutely <laughs> loved and this movie bought it <laughs> exactly and then we've got sophia butella who uh we've talked about before in uh, atomic blonde Yes, as a uh, gazelle, or as I like to say, blade legs, blade legs. <laughs> so she was a lot of fun as well. <laughs> Although she's a, a henchman, so kind of one note, but she did what she needed to do. Yeah, <laughs> there were a couple little moments that she had that I thought were that were pretty good, especially oh. when he didn't want to watch when Valentine didn't want to watch the massacre at the church. Mm-hmm. And, and she's like, oh, you need to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, she kind of played it a little bit like uh, a love interest as well. Yes, yes, very much so. I thought was kind of a nice layer. They didn't really expound on it, but the background intent she was projecting was that it was more than just a henchman-y type of thing. Yes, it was definitely a bit of a love interest, and I appreciate that they did do that, especially given, like, there was, like, a moment I caught after about the fifth viewing of this movie where right after Harry comes comes to have dinner with valentine they're walking up the stairs together and <laughs> i catch him i caught valentine giving her a little butt pat Whap on the ass, yeah. and i'm like oh wait a minute they're dating it's fine i almost wonder whether they built that relationship into the script to still allow for a 60s bond era butt pat right <laughs> that's clearly why it was there oh absolutely absolutely there 100 <laughs> percent well since we've gotten past all the propers, should we uh, get into the main event here? Let's do it. So the uh, the pre-title sequence, we start in on this. Can I just say before we go into it, that had to have one of the best production company beginnings I've seen in a movie ever <laughs> with the battle zone graphics at the beginning for Marv. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. The, the Marv. I, I- I had completely forgotten about them. Like, what is battles? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I've, I've seen this before. Marv I've is good, it. man. 
Yeah. So yeah, so we start in on a close up of this ghetto blaster and we find out we're in 1997, which honestly ghetto blasters were before 1997 if I'm being yeah, We'll roll with but, it though. It was we'll the Middle it. East, it's, you know, they're like 15 20 years behind the US. So. Right, exactly. So it's fine. It's fine. So we're in the Middle East and it's a mission going on with two new recruits of the Kingsmen. And they and one of them is Eggsy's dad. And essentially they're they're questioning some guy and they figure out that he's got a bomb strapped to him. And at that point, um, Eggsy's dad pushes everybody else out of the way and dives on on the guy and basically saves everybody's life, essentially jumping on a grenade. That's the right. equivalent of jumping on a grenade. And then uh right after that, the other guy becomes uh Lancelot. And then that's when we get all the big explosions happen. We see these title graphics, which are okay, but they're a little like first era of 3D composite lettering that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was funny to watch them falling out of things and and yeah, like the rocks turn the rocks that are yeah. made that make up the sportress sort of come crumbling down and we <laughs> and they turn into letters and and that sort of thing. It's kind of fun. I feel like this whole movie is a bit mad anyway. So it's like, it's fine. <laughs> it works just fine because <laughs> it's all just so silly that you can kind of get away with almost anything, which is what's kind of brilliant about this movie to begin with. So, right. But then we're right back into more because we don't actually get the title card per se until just a little bit later, because then we see this first scene where Harry visits um, Eggsy and his mom. And this is when Eggsy is obviously very, very small. And it's so very Pulp Fiction-y. Yes. The, the scene when when Christopher Walken goes and, and visits... Uh, I had this hunk of metal up my ass for 18 <laughs> months, and all you could say is, hmm? <laughs> it's so identical to that yes so, so anyway yeah he so harry brings uh eggsy and his mom this little metal which has a number on it and he just has to say if you get in a bit of trouble if you ever need anything just remember just call this number remember to say oxford's not brogues but yeah it's it's like a page right out of pulp fiction right, right. out of that scene <laughs> anyway Anyway. So, so from there, right after Harry has like this little talk with uh, Eggsy, then we see the snow globe and the camera goes into the snow globe. And that's when we finally see the title card, which I thought was kind of cool. Sure. Because they also use that as the transition to get into the, the first real scene of the movie, which is uh, Argentina 17 years later. And Mark <laughs> Hamill is kidnapped. Well, no, 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 no. Professor such and such. Professor such and such. Now, I will say that in the comic book, it actually it's is Mark, Mark Hamill. Hamill. It actually yep. is Mark Hamill who's captured. Which so, explains well, why he's randomly in this movie. Right, exactly. <laughs> Sounding like, a, well, even more like an English Joker than he normally does when he does the Joker. Yeah, he definitely had his voice actor voice in. Mm -hmm. for, the, for this one but um so mark hamill's kidnapped as professor uh i don't even remember all i have in my notes is luke <laughs> professor arnold that's what it is oh, which geez. is so weird because mark hamill does not look like an arnold of any no. kind <laughs> no <laughs> professor whitehall professor uh, yes <laughs> mike sinclair you know anything yes. like that 
not Professor Arnold. I love Professor Arnold. <laughs> Professor, I love Professor Arnold. <laughs> so anyway, he's kidnapped and suddenly Lancelot comes to the door to save him. And he kicks some serious ass until Gazelle shows up. I really actually liked all of the gunplay and and all of oh, the yeah. action, all of the action work right up to, right up until he gets sliced in half vertically. Um, <laughs> <as And fuck. laughs> I'm trying to remember if there's any other movie aside from UHF where someone is sliced vertically like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there is, but <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure at least one Tarantino movie. Um, Nothing comes to mind, but I know I've seen it in other ones before. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about using the woo is fuck button for this review, but here's the thing. I feel like everything in this movie is more Vaughn as fuck. Yeah, it's not there. I couldn't find a woo as fuck moment at all. I feel like everything is just too Vaughnish and not. Or Wykowski as fuck, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want to <laughs> stick with the W's. Right. Yeah, definitely more matrixy than it is John did, Woo. Uh, did did Lancelot really come off to you as really the actual James Bond character in this movie? Yes, very much so. Because he was right smooth. Down the, right down to the scotch not getting spilled. Right, exactly. Like I, just smooth right up until he got sliced in half. But yeah, well, and he even even fell in half smoothly. Let's face I it. I know he did, there's he no didn't blood, drop like bricks. Just, he just just yeah, <laughs> just it, it was so funny when she's covering all the bodies before Valentine can go in. Right. She very subtly drops the two towels over the two halves. She covers <laughs> yeah. over one. Then she walks to her left and covers over the other one. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. So from there, we get our introduction to Valentine. And I think that's about it in that scene. But we get told so much at the beginning of this movie and it doesn't feel exposition-y to me. It just feels very natural, which I really yeah. appreciate. It moves the movie along without dragging it down. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing I should mention too, is that the runtime on this is just barely over two hours, I think. Yeah, it's very like, it moves. quickly cut. And, and Man, it, does it no, move. Nothing, nothing is stagnant. Yeah. The intercutting is crazy on this yeah. movie. Yeah, but I think that also is a lot to his style. He's not very much about loitering anywhere in any of his movies yeah i mean move. if you've watched well, the mutants are involved uh, you get mutants involved he tends to get a little <laughs> talky when you've got like you know in his defense if i had uh, michael fassbender in any of my movies i'd let them get talky too but yeah i mean um, i could watch that man talk for days <laughs> <sighs> anyway i digress so after that, um, so then Harry returns to uh, the shop for a virtual meeting. So this is the first time that we see Harry in current modern times, day. modern day, and the uh, and the Kingsmen drink in remembrance to the recently fallen Lancelot, and then our the Kingsmen are all assigned to submit candidates for the replacement. So we sort of get that element of the story going, which is an interesting way to sort of go about it. It does sort of make it unique. I kind of appreciate that. Because the Kingsmen are a purely independent intelligence agency, they've got a whole different way of even bringing in new agents. Right. Um, what, what do you think about the magic glasses? Uh, you Like the, the whole virtual meeting with the uh -huh. holograms? Well, and uh, the virtual screen in the painting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a little... Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, 
One of the conceits is that they all wear the glasses because the glasses have the yes. the built-in displays and everything on it. But it seemed very well. I hate to say <laughs> Star Warsy. Yeah, but it felt a little Star Warsy. Yeah, it, it definitely then, felt a little too high tech. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, they're taking liberties all over this. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to accept this movie all by itself, that's one of the minor things to to get over, I suppose. But and I mean, I will say this: at least they established a rule to it where they had to put on glasses in order to see everything that they're seeing. Right. It's, so you weren't like having just, a project right there in front of you. It's essentially putting on VR goggles, more yeah. or less. And so you can kind of you can kind of see how that could you know. Yeah. At least it's not just like an actual projection where they don't have to wear glasses and it's completely right. a farce, you know? No, no. I, I yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I just, it just sort of funny to me. It's like, why, why not just have them all there? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, it I, is I, an I interesting. You, uh, if they, if they ever decide to remake that movie, like Lucas style, George Lucas style. Okay. You no, know, they need to, digitally alter that painting behind Arthur so that it's got uh, Rafe Fine's face on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because <laughs> I, I so, told Susan, I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if one of those paintings actually had Rafe Fine's on it and we don't know that? Oh my God. Could Unless you imagine if really they hard? actually had the forethought to be like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to make a, a prequel. I'm going to make a prequel and I'm going to get Rafe Fine's and, <laughs> so well, I'm going to put his picture in the background and exactly. nobody's going to know why the fuck Ray Fine's picture is in this movie at the start. <laughs> I just think, wouldn't it have been funny? So like there were actual paintings or at least some sort of a graphical representation of something. And if, what if Vaughn had been like, well, I just want this to be all these famous spy people out of context. So there would be a Patrick <laughs> McNee and a Roger Moore and you know uh, uh, a Robert Vaughn, but sure. there'd have to be a Ray Fines because he also played John Steed, yeah. right? With the hat. And I'm like, you could have literally painted him from the Avengers. And then it would have fit right in. <laughs> exactly. Because you could I'm have sorry. had like the Hall of M's kind of like no time exactly. to die. Exactly. You could have <laughs> They could have taken that painting from this movie and just stuck it in the Hall of M's. Indeed. Uh, sorry, sorry to sidetrack you on that, but that's, I, all, okay. that's all I kept thinking of every time they showed it is, well, well, where's Ray where, Fiennes? Where, where's Ray Fiennes? <laughs> well, it did feel a little bit CGI for CGI's sake, but yeah, but I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> I'm yeah. fine with it. I know, I know some people are purists that way, but I mean, this movie is so off the rails right from the jump that you know what yeah. you're getting into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not, they're not surprising you in any way here. Right. So they drink to uh, Lancelot. They have the 100-year-old scotch or whatever it is, 200-year-old scotch. Um, and then uh, Merlin explains about some sort of toxin that makes people violent. That I guess that had to do with the mission in Argentina or something like that. That was a little fuzzy, the way that they sort of established that. I well, know. I think I think he was reporting it just as general news of this toxin that was popping up and around things. Maybe it was something that was tied to to Mark Hamill's character. I think. I maybe think that's, that's what maybe that's it what it was. Yeah, because was, he was presenting random events. Yeah, over a time frame to give you the background of how things were getting to where Valentine is later. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting too that like this movie in general uses the news in general as exposition a lot. Like it really does. It's kind of the vehicle that they use a lot of exposition, which is interesting, but it works. I mean, it's, it's better than having like Tanner, you know, t- t- taking yeah, you around on a the, boat t- ride, taking you on a boat ride down the Thames for, you know, 20 minutes telling you everything that's happened. So right. I'll allow it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and then right after that, we get this last little thing where Harry and Arthur sort of bicker about Harry's last recruit, despite the fact that Eggsy's dad was noble enough to give his life for the for the Kingsman to save everybody else. And I just love that line that he says, mm-hmm. just as he's leaving, he's like, there's a reason why aristocrats develop weak chins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's He's got a couple really good, this one, that one, and then... He delivers a quote from uh, Hemingway later on in the movie. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I just love it. So then we cut and we get to see Eggsy all grown up and his troubled home life. And we sort of, they paint the picture of where he's at with this, you know, his mom is being abused and and his, his stepdad is this sort of mob goon type guy that's just sort of a ruffian and a bastard of a human being and and he's got this baby sister that he's worried about and so in this particular scene his stepdad basically gives him money to essentially fuck off and so he goes down to the pub and meets with his friends and while he's down there with his friends at the next table over are some of his stepdad's uh goons that sort of work that work for him and That turns into a little bit of an altercation. And then in the process, Eggsy pickpockets uh, one of the the guy's car and they steal the car, which I thought was great. I kind of like the the car stealing scene and and that whole chase. It's it's a lot of fun. Well, you also get this. You get the thing that Eggsy is incredibly competent when he wants to be. Yeah, it it definitely paints that picture of like he's much too good for the environment that he's been placed in. Right, and you're the reason he's still in that environment is because he's worried about his mother and his sister. Right, exactly. He's sort of, and it's kind of a noble thing. It sort of shows that he's got loyalty towards his family, and that he's yep. not just going to go escape all this life. Well, yeah, and and it shows that he's got loyalty to his friends because once yeah. he gets caught by the cops, he tells yeah, them he to tells book. his buddies to 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 get out of there, and he and takes so he the, heat, take for the heat for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Eggsy's arrested, and then finally he gets this phone call, and that's the first. I think this is where I get confused between the comic book and the movie. I can't remember if he's ever called the Kingsman before in the movie. I know in the comic book, not, he's, in, not in the movie. I know in the comic book, he's called several times before. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like totally fed up with him in the comic book. But I believe in the movie, he's more. No, it's it's definitely the first time. Yeah, because he doesn't even know. You know, he doesn't even know if it's going to work. He just sort of calls. And, and when and he gets on the phone. Absolutely remind remember the, the secret code. Yeah, because she was about to hang up on him and then and then he sort of wait, wait, wait. And then he says Oxford not brogues, and then they let him talk to to Harry or whatever. So that's when you know we cut to uh Eggsy getting bailed out and he meet and he meets Harry. And um it's funny how defensive Eggsy is at at first, you know, just kind of like, Well, who are you? And I'm, you know, uh-huh. posh bastard, you know, like I don't give a shit about you, <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> so um 
So yeah, Harry bails him out and then they go back to the pub and <laughs> I, I just like that he drinks that Guinness. So like, like it's this, like it's the greatest beer he's ever had in his life. Well, you like, know that it's, it's not. Well, I mean, I do like Guinness, but I do, I do too, but, but not it's the way not, he was making love to it. I know he, Harry, Harry made that Guinness look like it was the greatest stout he had ever drank in his life. <laughs> so we get this little, you know, discussion about life choices and, and all that sort of thing. And, and then of course they get interrupted and we get what is arguably the best scene in the whole movie. Oh, I yeah. think, you know, his stepdad's goons come back in and we get the manners mm-hmm. maketh man line. Well, and locking the doors. So yes. badass. Yeah. Well, I also like even before that, when. Um, listen, boys. I've had a rather emotional day. So whatever your beef with Eggsy is, and I'm sure it's well founded. I'd appreciate it enormously if you could just leave us in peace. Until I finish this lovely pint of Guinness. <laughs> I just like how calm and cool he is and how he's actually like sort of dumping on Eggsy in the process. Right. Like, well, it, I recognize it's his fault, but <laughs> well, it's it's like in the cantina, you know, when yeah. Luke gets in with Dr. Evazan and Panda Baba and he's like, come, this is what is it worth the effort? Let me buy you a drink or something. You know? Yeah. Luke's like, what do you mean I'm not worth the effort, you old fuck? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so we get the the manners make it man. Then we get literally the greatest fight scene ever in this movie. Yep. <laughs> I just, it is so fantastical. And it's, I appreciate that this one isn't too matrixy because the matrixy one at the end of the movie is too much for me. Like that's yeah. where I was starting to get a little, okay, I'll, I guess <laughs> I've followed this far <laughs> along. I'll accept it. At least this one's kind of more grounded, even though it's not grounded. I don't know. Like the backflip thing is really bad, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just goes ass over tea kettle. <laughs> yeah. That one's, eh, I don't know about that one, but, <laughs> um, and then at the very end, of course, uh, he amnesia darts the bartender at the end, which mm-hmm. which actually makes me think of the fact too. Um, how good are the fucking uh, all the gadgets in this movie? One of the, yeah. I think I think that's one of the best parts of this movie too. Is Matthew Vaughn just plays up all the tropes that you that you really want to see, like cool gadgets, tons of fantastical action, like a villain that's like you know got weird things about him <laughs> right i like how when he's given him the inventory when they first go back to the kingsman shop with Eggsy, yeah. and he's going through the inventory of all the stuff that's in there and you shows start selling the shoes so any shoe at oxford is any shoe with laces right and, and the decoration in the front is the brogue and you know he chose him the the pop out knife version of it. And oh, he goes, and he does the Hitler impression. Well, that no, no, no. <laughs> but I was going to say, with the technology, he's like, you know, back in the old days, we used to have phones in them too. Oh yeah, the get yeah. smart reference. Get smart reference. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he amnesia's the bartender, and uh, which I which I loved, and then Harry threatens to amnesia Eggsy. And Eggsy's like, no, I won't, I won't say anything, you know, and all that stuff. So, so then Harry like puts his hand on his shoulder and plants the little bug on him. 
Mm-hmm. So then, uh, so then again, we get another, we get more exposition because on the telly, we see the news and Valentine's movie or whatever is on the news. And then we also see that, <laughs> that Iggy Azalea is missing. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, she's so big now. Yeah. Huge. Um, anyway, <laughs> so we start to, they, they're planting this thing in, in the viewer's head about suddenly there's big celebrities missing and it's sort of at this point it's just sort of a head scratcher but um right so from there we move into the um sort of this confrontation with the stepdad because uh his stepdad knows what the hell's gone on at the pub at this point and so his stepdad's ready to practically fucking kill him um <laughs> and just as just as the guy is like putting this giant blade to his throat harry we hear harry through a speaker which that part was a little that was a little weird. It was a little weird because was it really coming through that tiny little thing on his shoulder right? or, or had he patched into some other part of their house? They didn't really make it clear, but it, it the way it seemed like it was, it's coming from the speaker. Well, and like, that is some damn good fidelity on something that tiny. Well, they made it sound like it was the voice of God yes. <laughs> talking to them. <laughs> so, so. That was a little suspect. Anyway, so at that point, Harry sort of warns the stepdad that, well, hey, if you kill him or if you do anything else, I have enough evidence on you at this point to lock you away for the rest of your life. So maybe don't do that. Yes. So then so then the stepdad lets him leave and Eggsy does this fun little parkour thing past the goons, which was fun to watch, which also, yeah. again, sort of speaks to his prowess and that he's obviously capable of being a spy significantly more than he actually is. Right. He's got the raw, he's got the raw materials to be a spy. Um, so he parkours his way over to the Kingsman shop. So that's when we, he walks in, he meets with Harry and we get this whole uh, scene in the, in the dressing room, which is really funny about the potential and how he's, <laughs> I love the whole thing about Harry's trying to say, well, you remember that part in like Pretty Woman or, and he keeps making these analogies to all right. these different movies and Eggsy's not even getting it. He's like, oh, <laughs> oh like, like my, my fair, fair lady, my fair lady. <laughs> He's like, you continue to surprise me, Eggsy. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, he gets the offer to become a Kingsman. And then suddenly uh, they're going down. Like suddenly the, the floor starts dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. <laughs> and that's when we get the premise of the new Kingsman movie that is out right. right now in theaters, just of how the Kingsman came to be and that whole thing. And so it just keeps going down and down. And, and so how do you feel about all this? Like this, this well, traveling down. <laughs> so I, I'm always that guy who is like, who approved the contract work on this and who had to die so that nobody knows about it? <laughs> Because so for, for, for me, you could build an underground railway anywhere you need, right? Because it's uh -huh. underground. If you own both points of where it's at, particularly if one of them is a secluded um, estate somewhere in England, you can build all the trades you want. I'll give you that. But in a building that's probably been around for 200, 300 years. Right. Who had the wherewithal to build an entire elevator the size of a room that goes down how many feet? 
I mean, that thing looked 100 like hundred feet. It looked, yeah, deep. Two hundred feet. And how did they do it without anybody sort of taking notice to such a thing? <laughs> right, because the modern elevator, as we know it, and would have had to have the same principles, was not built until I'm thinking mid 1800s in its initial concept <laughs> right <laughs> at which point in time that building had probably already been around for 200 years right so you're doing retrofitting at that point in the 1800s <laughs> I'm like did you literally dig a hole from the big building out and wherever all the way to under this all building all the way haul all of the elevator parts all the way there build the elevator they and hired, then the train. They hired hundreds and hundreds of lemming winks, if you know who lemming. <laughs> <laughs> and hundreds. then what? Lo- lined them all up for a mass grave and shot them all so they can't tell anybody anything? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was interesting. But, you know, again. Again, if you go for the conceit of the movie, you just right. have to run with it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we go down 100 feet, <laughs> and then we're in the... The underground tube subway or or train, underground train, whatever you want to call with it. The, with those nice hound to, hound's tooth covered seats. Yes, very so very fancy. <laughs> yeah. We get over to the HQ and it's this big, you know, estate or whatever. And, <laughs> and we pass by the underground hangar, which is the most Avengers thing in this yes. movie. Holy cow. Like that, that whole <laughs> shot is just, I mean. Well, and then, then the mansion above was straight out of the X-Men. Yes. Know? I was expecting like the, there'd be a basketball court that would split in half so the jet could fly out. It There is so much like genre blending going on in this movie, just all yes. over the place. So then, uh, so from there, Eggsy checks in very quickly. I Again, this is a part of the movie that moves super fast like right and i think is probably better for it just because they speed up the origin story at hyperspeed which i appreciate yeah. because yeah because it keeps it interesting yeah and you know like i've i've talked with you about this off air but we're definitely going to have a sit down discussion in an intel report in future episodes about the overuse of origin stories in spy movies, but mm-hmm. I digress. So anyway, so Eggsy checks in to Kingsman school, basically, yeah. and, jo- <laughs> and joins the other recruits. And apparently Merlin is the instructor slash headmaster. So, so he's a, uh, uh, not Gandalf. Why am I missing his name? From Harry Potter, from Harry Potter. Oh, Dumbledore. So, so basically Merlin is Dumbledore. He's like, if Dumbledore and Q had a baby. I just think it's funny, too, that his name is Merlin and he's basically Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Uh, yeah, I didn't get that. I, I assume it's definitely more to do with the whole Knights of the Round Table and he makes all the gadgets. Yes, so he's the right. magic man. But that's a very... Excellent connection. <laughs> so anyway, so that's when we get our introduction to Roxy, which which is is awesome, and um, and then we of course get the uh, I affectionately refer to them as the posh prick trio, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the guys that all come from Oxford or wherever you know fancy universities or whatnot, and they've all got the uh, sweater draped over their shoulders by the ar- you know the arms of their sweaters draped over their shoulders and yada yada yada. <laughs> Um, 
And then, uh, and then we cut away uh, to uh, Valentine trying to find out Lancelot's identity. And it's so funny. You eventually, it, it pans, a, yep. you know, it, you realize he's talking to Obama, yep. <laughs> which one of the things, and this is another thing that I love about this movie is that even though there are recognizable political figures in this movie, it's so apolitical and it's so mm-hmm. distrustful of anybody in government yes and that's what's so great about it is that it doesn't take a side it just paints them all you are all fucking guilty you're all politicians and thereby you are all scumbags that's right which i appreciate it's kind of (laughs) nice so so from there we get another great uh big scene with the the bunk flood which i thought was just a great idea i'd never seen I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Uh-uh. Uh, just so original, you know, where we've get all the water flooding into the, into the room where everybody's sleeping and, you know, all the other recruits, they all go over to the toilets and they start running the, the shower pipe thing down into the toilet to try and get air out of the, the line in the toilet. Meanwhile, we've got Eggsy, our blunt instrument. Mm-hmm. Who, who swims over to the two-way mirror and just starts Hulk Hulk punching like like smashing into this <laughs> mirror no, over and over again? No blood, you know, no damage to his hands. No, he's never. Just all, yeah, it's like one-inch punch type shit. One-inch punch, <laughs> uh, a kill bill. You know, when she's in the uh, she's in the casket, she's all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, also, too, and, and if you think about the fact that he's punching in water, like how much power is he right. really? How right. much power is he really exerting on this mirror? <laughs> so anyway, of course, he breaks through. But of course, they all fail because they see this other girl who we think is dead over. Oh, she's totally dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Until Act 3. <laughs> Until Act 3. Exactly. So. Meanwhile, Harry goes to meet Professor Arnold, and just as he's sort of like trying to, you know, figure out what the hell happened to Lancelot and sort of kind of really shaking the shit out of Professor Arnold, that's when the little microchip in Professor Arnold's neck decides to go boom Mm -hmm. and uh, sends, I don't know what that shit was that like flew all over his face. (laughs) It wasn't acid, I don't think, because... He didn't seem to be like scratching his eyes. I don't know what the hell that shit was, but anyway, burned professor Arnold juice. (laughs) Arnold. Ew. Oh, professor. So anyway, so Arnold goes boom (laughs) and uh, Harry. uh, Arnold. I like professor Arnold. (laughs) I really like professor Arnold. So, (laughs) so Harry ends up unconscious in a coma, I believe. And, uh, so at this point, too, Valentine is, of course, alerted to Harry because Valentine just seems to sort of have eyes on everything. And then also in this area of the movie, we get where they all get uh, dogs, where all the recruits get dogs, mm-hmm. which is another great moment. I just love that he got the pug because it's so I just like that it was such a good representation of him. Yes. Like as as the recruit there, he really was the pug and it was quite fitting that he got a pug. <laughs> But it was also funny that he didn't realize that it wasn't a bulldog. Well, it's not a bulldog. 
<laughs> it's going to get bigger, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we, we get a quick shot of Harry being unconscious with a breathing tube. And then we get what I like to call the ultimate Kingsman intercut montage because right? so much shit is told to us in such a quick amount of time. Cause first we see Eggsy running with the pug under his, like, I don't know if that's like a bulletproof vest or what the hell that was, <laughs> the pugs bouncing <laughs> up and down. So then it cuts the, so it has that. Then it cuts to the SIM cards on the assembly line which is done really well though. I like how mm -hmm. they sort of do the, the screen sort of moving down, like the, the shot of Harry moves down as you see the SIM card uh, assembly line. And then after the assembly line, uh, we come back to Harry weeks later because his hair is all grown out and his beard's growing out. Right. And then we cut again to Eggsy in the bunks and they throw water on him. Like the, the, the posh prick trio once again is just being who they are. Right. Um, and then that even is is cut really fast to again seeing Harry finally waking up even weeks later after that, followed by even more than that. We see them like doing a written exam. So it's hyper progression of time of all of Eggsy's training and all of this shit going by until finally we see like there's night sniper training. And then it finally slows down when we see uh, Valentine again and he's meeting with more leaders. And this time <laughs> it's Princess uh, Tilde of Sweden and the uh, Scandinavian prime minister Prime Minister is obviously a total asshole. Like he's clearly just all about himself, and he doesn't care that that they're about to put Princess Tildy in a in a cell or whatever because she's not cooperating. He's like, "Well, I'm a Republican, so I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> so from there, Harry wakes up, and basically Merlin has connected that the manufacturer of the microchip plant that was in Professor Arnold's neck, the microchip itself was connected to Valentine's tech company. Okay. So that's how they sort of connect Professor Arnold's head explosion to Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, um, we also get that little bit where Eggsy's like, oh yeah, he's a genius, you know, and, and, you know, we see the little thing on the screen again, using like media and news to sort of help propel things along. We see that he's like giving away all these microchips to everyone for free and giving right. them free cell phone service forever or whatever. And that's when uh, Harry decides he needs to um, get into this like gala event that that Valentine is hosting. And then right before that happens, we get another really good scene for me again, like probably my second favorite scene in the whole movie is the, the skydiving training mission. Oh, yeah. And again, this is great because this is where it sets up uh, Roxy's sort of fear of heights and doing right. the whole skydiving thing. And it sort of gives her a second dimension. You know, it sort of builds that up and, and sort of the camaraderie between Eggsy and Roxy and that whole thing. And just how shitty the other guys are because when they're right. in the air and he's the other guy's just like fuck you guys and he pulls his yep pulls his shoot i'm out you know yeah so the skydiving scene is just really well executed and i i love too one of my favorite parts of it is right at the very end just as eggsy and roxy are like so close to the ground and they still haven't pulled the shoot and merlin's watching yep. and he and he fails to set his coffee cup back on the desk and it falls to the ground and smashes in it 
adds that like added tension like even yeah. he's free even he's freaking out you know like oh shit <laughs> did i just kill two of my recruits <laughs> oh and the other really good thing about this scene is at the very end too when merlin comes onto the ground and they're laying there or standing there and merlin uh dismisses like the other guys mm-hmm. and it's just the other three left and then roxy and the other guy walks away and then it's just Eggsy and Merlin and Eggsy's yep. fucking pissed. He's like, if you got to say something to me, you come up and say it. And I love that Eggsy's like, all right, I will. And then he just walks right the fuck up and like is ready to like go to blows with Merlin. Gives him the what for for putting one of them, you know, in deadly danger. Then Merlin's like, uh-huh. And he pulls his ripcord and yeah. the parachute comes flying out. None of them had it. Right. It's such a great little moment to sort of show like. Nobody cares where you came from here. Right. This is all an even playing yeah. ground. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And then from there, that sort of leads us into the uh, the second act of this, uh, this movie right. here. Right. You know, we, we kick right off after that with Galahad showing up at the uh, Valentine's Big Gala um, mm-hmm. as his whatever his cover thing is. Some billionaire, yeah. I think. I want to say it was pharmaceuticals, but I can't remember exactly. I can't either. But, uh, it was so like, it was so throwaway. It didn't even matter. Right. Anyway. You know, he's rich. Valentine wants his money, blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, so anyway, so he shows up and, uh, you know, Valentine's like, no, no, I found out with you. I canceled every the party. Said everybody, oh, <laughs> right? right. Because, uh, you know, Galahad was dangling such a, a tempting carrot in front of him that he wanted to give him his undivided attention. So right. um, he invites him in. And it's probably and- dubious the fact that he's never met this b- billionaire in his life before. And how is or that heard even, about him or heard about him? So how is that even possible? So he's probably suspicious from the jump. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, Galahad provides a reasonable explanation for why he hasn't been on the radar sure. and such. But obviously, this is a feeling out thing for Valentine as much yeah. as it is for Galahad. And right. so they sit down, uh, you know, to, to have dinner. And um, um, what, what's what's Gazelle comes in, whirling, yeah. a, you know, one of the big metal carts, you know, <laughs> the food, and she opens it up, and it is just laden, laden with McDonald's food, <laughs> boxes of French fries, quarter pounders, Big Macs, and the first thing I'm thinking of when I see this is. How long has that been sitting there? I bet you it's gross. Oh, yeah, I know, Who right? Who wants to eat cold McDonald's or worse, reheated McDonald's? Well, well, Ugh. I mean, this is probably Valentine we're talking about. So he's probably got like a pretty good like, uh, uh, mm, I mean, granted, it's probably still sitting under like one of those heaters. Maybe he's got a McDonald's in his house. Maybe he's got a McDonald's. He is, he is, he is rich. He, he is super rich. So. Who so knows? I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> um, so he's got like a bottle of, of fine wine and yeah. this is what they're having for dinner. And I like you know, how they pair it with, right, you right, know, right. they pair wine with a Big Mac or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, and, and then uh, Galahad pops up there. You have to try Twinkies, but it's yes. just for dessert that we try Twinkies with a 64 Chateau or something like that. <laughs> you know, totally playing on the whole thing like, oh yeah, I eat junk food, drink expensive wine too. Ha! <laughs> so they kind of go through this whole, you know, bit of back and forth. Oh, and while while we're on this note, is it me or do our directors obsessed with having Samuel L. Jackson eat hamburgers like in movies? I don't mm-hmm. know. 
maybe it's just because Pulp Fiction is so at the front of my brain because of other references this movie has to Pulp Fiction. Sure. But but like he's eat, once again, I'm seeing Samuel Jackson eating fast food. Like it's become a thing with him. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think I think is that it a has... big Kahuna burger. <laughs> yeah. That is a tasty burger. <laughs> I think the reason that you see him with a lot of hand food and drinks and stuff mm-hmm. is because that's how he acts. And he's a very right gestures, gesticulating. So you, you, you lock up that gesticulating by putting something in his hand. Ah, yeah. That's it's what I'm of, thinking. Yeah, that's probably that's a good way to do it, you know. You know, without telling Sam, you you talk with your hands too much. <laughs> I'm gonna have you hold a hamburger in this. Stick okay. a hamburger in his hand. <laughs> Whatever. I'm getting a paycheck. <laughs> so anyway, so they finish their their conversation. But this is, but this, again, this is what we talked about earlier. Like, I love this conversation because it it literally, it literally lays out Matthew Vaughn's take on where Bond is right now and how much better he thought the old ones were versus the new ones, how he liked the more fantastical, silly ones with silly villains and right. And it like, I can just literally hear Matthew Vaughn talking directly through Valentine <laughs> as the host. <laughs> right. All, all the while poking and prodding at Galahad because he's starting to kind of figure out who Galahad actually is. Right. While Although they're I, having I thought it was an interesting move by, by Galahad to sort of hint at wanting to be a super villain or a, you know, I forget right. what he saying, I forget what he saying that being the super villain was the better the thing better to choice. Be. Yeah. Right. Trying well, to sort of this, convince him that he's not a spy. Right. Well, and then this whole, so this whole conversation for me goes on this other meta level when you start thinking about Unbreakable, okay. the M. Night Shyamalan movie with uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Where Samuel L. Jackson, again, plays the nemesis, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> to Bruce Willis's character. But instead of adopting a Bond villain aspect, he assumes a, a comic book villain aspect throughout the movie with the things that he's done to bring them together so that they can become antagonists. <laughs> and so this kind of had that same vibe to me, except that he was trying to be the Bond villain that he was bringing to Galahad's, you know, Bruce Willis character, who was right, the, right. The, the protagonist. <laughs> and so I, I remember watching it when I saw it the first time, thinking the exact same thing. I'm yeah. like, okay, so if we need a science fiction villain, then we get Samuel L. Jackson, not as a Jedi <laughs> Knight. But, you know, so this thing speaks to you on so many levels. It speak, The movie speaks to you as just a spy movie that's fantastical and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It speaks to you on an auteur level. If you're looking for that kind of thing, the dialogue, punchy, exciting, relevant, never too long. Yeah. You know, so it comes off like a Tarantino movie or a Kevin Smith movie where yeah. the dialogue is what you need and you want to listen to it because there's a rhythm and a dynamic between the speaking people. Right. And it's and you know, then it's just a straight up punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky, fighty, fighty, bang, bang movie, too. If that's all you want to get out of it. Which I mean, honestly, I'm largely there for the punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky, fighty, fighty thing a lot of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's nice when you go into a movie like that and you get a little something more. And and we get girls, too, on top of everything else. We get beautiful. We get beautiful women. We get and who doesn't like beautiful girls on top. 
That's uh, right. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they, they finished the conversation. The, there's a bit of mutual suspicion between the two, but, you know, right. they, they leave amicably enough. Uh, good old Valentine has uh, put a nano tracker into Harry's wine to find out where he's going. Oh, good nano old tra- nano trackers. Good old nano trackers, man. Who I, doesn't love a good nano tracker? You know, I really, God, I hope that nano trackers go away. Like they're the new list, man. Like nano trackers are the new lists. Nanotechnology in general is going to be the <sighs> bane of spy movie existence for the next. Well, you know what? Until it actually happens. And they have to come up with something else. Right. Exactly. Because everybody's like nano trackers. Geez, I've had a nano tracker in me since I was seven. What are you talking about? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I'm just waiting for all these new movies that are set to come out next year. How many of them are going to have? Well, Argyle won't because it's period piece, I think. Right. Well, yeah. So hopefully we won't get it in Argyle, but. You know, Mission Impossible 7 is going to have nano Ugh, something. God, no, Although, no. I'm hoping, <laughs> I think the next buzzword is going to be quantum, you know, quantum computing and uh, quantum okay. this. So we're going to have quantum trackers next mm. that are mm. on a subatomic level or something. I, <laughs> I want between that or like AI. I'm wondering about like. If we're going to get more like sentient AI type business, <laughs> I don't know. The sentient AI has been around since the 30s. It just kind of that's true comes and goes. But the nanotechnology has it's really definitely only hot been, right now. Well, I think I think Star Trek really pop, next generation really kind of brought that into the forefront with the Borg and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, because Star Trek constantly used nanotechnology and nanobots as something as a plot line from next generation straight up i think until the end of voyager so once it goes into star trek it spills out everywhere else <laughs> they're at the gateway huh <laughs> they absolutely are you know so if, if if it becomes something that the trek guys run to because it's easy right then it's definitely then the people gonna that to... don't even write science fiction are going to jump right on it <laughs> but anyway i digress um <laughs> They have their chat and they're finished. And and uh, as they're walking off, Valentine's talking to Gazelle and getting upstairs. It just gives her a little, a little tushy, little tushy pat. Little tushy tap. <laughs> little, little Connery-esque tushy pat that she takes no offense of, too. Yes. And they're clearly in a relationship. So they are clearly in a relationship. And and she's got swords for legs, people. Yeah. like She, she didn't could- like her ass getting smacked. I'm pretty sure she could do something about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we cut from there to Harry chatting with Arthur once again at HQ. Uh, the news doing its job as usual, telling <laughs> us more celebs are missing. Harry's glasses, which, of course, do everything that Google Glass doesn't, uh, <laughs> are, are he's showing off the footage that he picked up uh, when he was or, over at uh, when he was at over Valentine's. At, at Valentine's place. Um, and in the footage. There's a pamphlet from a Westboro Baptist Church type, type of church. <laughs> well, that's very Utah. it's very telling of the times too, because that was when that was a big thing. Nobody yep. has talked about them in oh, they're in still years. in the news, but not not to that level. Yeah, because they were not to really that evident back then. Oh yeah, because they were everywhere. They had a much larger presence. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> 
Good riddance to bad trash, if you ask me. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) We stay away from the real politics here, folks. We only talk about the fake politics here. That's right. (laughs) On Central Intelligence Cinema. Uh, (laughs) But um, that, of course, gives Harry his clue to maybe go check that a little bit out and uh, see what it's all about. Yep. Um, And then, of course, uh, more news footage exposition. Yes. <laughs> more missing famous people more big lines for valentine's free sim cards for the cell phones what could all of these have to do with one another i don't know <laughs> uh, and then um we skip over to the uh the final three candidates mission because basically everybody else flunked out from the parachute drop right, right. Uh, because mm-hmm. they didn't get inside the circle Right. Like they were supposed to. <laughs> which, which, I mean, come on, that circle's tiny. Like, not even a professional sky. That would be hard for a professional skydiver yeah. to do. <laughs> let, let alone somebody dragging another body down. Right. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that's good is if you're aimed there and you're at terminal velocity and don't pop <laughs> your shoe till 3,000 feet, you got a pretty good chance if you're still over that circle of hitting it. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so they're given their last mission and their last mission is to go and uh, shall we say compromise a Uh, particular female in in a club, in a club, whichever one of them can uh, bed this particular female strictly (laughs) through seduction, I might add. Yes. um, Basically wins the, the last operation they're on. So and of course, the joke is they're all handed photographs of who they're supposed to be looking at. Right. And. And Eggsy and um, Posh Prick number one, uh, <laughs> they get the same girl and they figure they're going to be arm wrestling over. Then Roxy's like, yeah, I got the same one, too. <laughs> of course, I'm thinking, well, if I'm this chick, I'm going with Roxy. I don't Exactly. Care. That was my first thought. I'm like, well, right. those... Those two are screwed because they got, going no with their, they got no chance against Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> so they cut to them in the nightclub and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This one's a little fuzzy for me, but I think we've got Eggsy and a posh prick are chatting her up. Yeah. Kind um, of like, well, it starts with posh prick and, and then Roxy posh, posh so, prick Roxy, is chatting with her. Yeah. And then Roxy sort of identifies what method he's using and, That's and, is, right. and is sort of like debunking it in front of him. Right. And then, and Eggsy then Eggsy comes, comes in and he's like, what's this champagne tastes like shit. Like what's going on with this. And then, Posh Brick number one is trying to debunk what Eggsy's doing, right. but Eggsy's really actually being truthful because he can taste whatever's in yeah, the, the champagne. In there. Yeah, he can taste the roofie shit that's in it. <laughs> and then the girl gets up and then they all pass out. <laughs> right. Right. Well, no, not before the guy that comes over. You know, if you're really trying to get a girl into bed with you, you need to try the roofies. And they yeah, all like- kind of look at each other and then they go to black. Right. <laughs> and Eggsy wakes up uh, tied up on the train tracks. And I'm like, tied up on train tracks. <laughs> I know. It's like, where's the uh, where's the mustache yeah. <laughs> twisting? Yeah, the mustache twisting villain. Like <laughs> Exactly. With the top hat, the cloak. <laughs> right. And so what it turns out. So the guy's yelling at him, trying to get him to give the, up information about the Kingsman and all of this other stuff. And, you know, the train's coming and uh, Eggsy's terrified. But. We, he's eggsy. He's not giving anything up. 
he will go to his grave not giving anything up. And so you see the train hit him, but surprise, surprise, the train (laughs) does not hit him because it had some sort of Lex Luthor from Superman, the movie sort of drop (laughs) down sinking. That was so ridiculous, but (laughs) I mean, it fits fits with everything else that we've already seen in this movie. Absolutely. If you can have a dressing room size elevator drop a hundred feet underground Yes, you can make a little piece of train track fall six feet down and replace it with real train track so that a right. t- train, can, train can go through. Exactly. <laughs> and so we find out that this guy who I think plays a bad guy in every English movie ever. Right. Made. I was trying to figure out where he was from. I didn't bother to look it up, but like, I feel like I've seen that guy in like a million things. I think he was in layer cake. Oh, that would, well, that would make sense. I mean, yeah. it's another Matthew Vaughn movie, so. But, I mean, he never plays a good guy in anything he's in. And most of the things he's in are British movies. Yeah. That well, I've seen him in anyway. Yeah. Uh, but this guy turns out he's working for the Kingsman. And right. he's, he, done it to, he's done it to Roxy before. Right. And then and he, he did was next. And I love after the train comes and, and Harry's there. And Harry's like, Roxy already went, but posh prick number one. Still hasn't. You want to go watch? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the guy, the the bad guy that, that's been a bad guy and everything, he kind of looks like uh, Rorschach, actually. He from, does look a little bit like Jackie Her- Earl Haley, yeah. With the yeah, teeth just, and the... Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like the guy that plays Rorschach had a baby with Pete Pothawaite, and you got <laughs> one guy. <laughs> Uh, but so we see uh, we see Poshbrick number one go through his, and he fails miserably. Gives up all the information. He's a big crybaby. Uh, <laughs> doesn't die because the train looks like it's going to hit him. And then of course Michael Kindstad, and he's very disappointed with him because he's an <laughs> asshole. Because his upper crusty guy basically lost to, to the, the guy that he yeah, yeah to the street thug. That, that he said wouldn't even make a thrill. He's very disappointed. Very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we move on from there. Yeah, don't they get like a day off or a night off or something like that? And that's how we wind up back at Harry's house or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's basically it. They, they more or less, all three of them, we thought they passed. Right. But there was still one test they don't know about yet. Right. But so it's basically they get to spend time with their mentor Right, or the person that sponsored them. Yeah. Um, and kind of, you know, and I think it's more set up to be sort of like, okay, so this is the life you're actually going to get if you take the next step. Right. And so they're back at Galahad's and you're in Galahad's study office, as you will, whatever it is. Right. And it's covered with the front pages of news stories that seem completely irrelevant. Most of them from what is it, the the sun? The sun. Yeah. And uh, you know, so that's the that's the rag. Yeah, out there in England, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's stupid stuff like you know, this happened with Lady Di, and, and right? It's El- all like Elton John it's all, did this, right? It's, it's all like British royalty garbage, like yeah, just just the kind of same. Not it's the kind of shit that you would see in the New York Times, or not the New York Times, <laughs> but the New York Daily News, rather, right? Yes, yeah. It's just sensationalist bullcrap, and <laughs> Galahad's walking around, you know, pointing out on this day. <laughs> This is what I did and what actually happened. And on this right. day, this is what I did and what actually happened. And, you know, he makes the point to Eggsy that, you know, you should only be in the newspapers three times in your life when you're born. A man should be or a gentleman. Yes. Once when you're bored, when you get married and when you die, that's it. 
And he's trying mm-hmm. to make a point to Eggsy that you don't do it for the recognition. You don't do it for the fame. You do it for king and country. Right. right. And you do it because it's right. And so you shouldn't have an expectation that you're going to receive accolades for what you're doing. The accolades come from doing it in the first place. Yeah. And I kind of like this this moment, too, because it, this is when we sort of see like Eggsy sort of open up and sort of like be like, well, look at where I came from. Like, how can I ever learn how to be a gentleman? Which is right. so funny, too, because it points right back to My Fair Lady. It's right. the whole My Fair Lady thing all over again. Layers. It's layers. Layers, layers donkey. It's, it's got like an <laughs> onion. It's got layers. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Galahad throws out the Hemingway quote you were mentioning earlier. He says, oh. you know, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. God, you know, Hemingway was... Uh, well, he was a drinker, but he was great. It was he was a bit of a writer. You might have read some <laughs> yeah. of his works before. Yeah, the man could learn to use a period a couple more times. But yeah. uh, and by period, I mean punctuation. Yes. Um, but you know, really, this this whole point is sort of like I would say a coming of age thing for for yeah. Eggsy, but it's really. It's really Galahad saying, this is why I chose you. Right. Is you don't need to come from some posh family. Right. Like you just need to be, if you have a good internal compass, then. Yeah. Being a gentleman is more about who you are inside than it is about what you project on the outside. Everything sort of comes from that basic goodness. Right. That's in there. And so, um, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so they, they go back over to the tailor shop um, because he's going to get uh Exy, a gentleman always wears a suit bespoke, of course, you know. Mm, bespoke, yes. Uh, my never favorite, off the rack. Never off the rack. My, my favorite English word might be bespoke. It took me a long time to understand what that even meant. I'd always I see mean, that. I, was, I thought it was, you know, it was off a bicycle or something. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid. I just, I would see that word all the time and I just never bothered to look up what the hell it meant. And yeah. it wasn't it wasn't until I got involved in all of this spy nonsense that I actually found out what it meant. Well, I actually picked it up out of car manufacturing because like Rolls Royces and Bentleys oh, and everything because they're you bespoke, know, they're custom, they're Maybox and things like that. Exactly. Yes. So I, and then I sort of put two and two together with the suits and everything. I was like, oh, something that's made by hand just for you. Hmm. Does that mean that my kid is bespoke? Technically. Yes. Technically, <laughs> although he wasn't really well, made by hand. But anyway, moving on. Uh, and seriously, folks, I'll be here all week. Try be to sure to tip all. your waitress. Yeah, tip their wait staff. <laughs> uh, so uh, he goes to uh, Galahad's going to take him into the fitting room, but the fitting room was occupied. Yes, at that the point fitting time. room so three, because one fitting room one. One does not pop their cherry with fitting room one or two. No, you couldn't go into fitting room one because Valentine was in there unbeknownst to them at that point. Ah. And you can't, one does not pop their cherry in fitting room two. That's what it is. That is like, there's no talking about Fight Club. That is that rule. (laughs) That is the the first rule of Kingsman (laughs) is that no one pops your cherry. In in fitting room, fitting two. room two, and there is no sex in the champagne room. Um, <laughs> so, 
So I didn't know Chris Rock was in this movie. <laughs> it's a very it's it's a very hidden part. He was the oh. tailor, but he was an Eddie Murphy old man Saul makeup from um, <laughs> from coming to America. Uh, anyway, so into fitting wheat room three we go, and there's a little bit of a wistful glee in Galahad's yes. eyes as they walk into there because. Um, this is basically where Merlin has set up shop. Um, <laughs> is kind of not super impressed with the whole thing, but he tells him to pull down the the hook on, on one of the uh, the shelves over there, right. and everything opens up to an arsenal full of oh! automatic weapons. <laughs> and uh, another side one opens, and it's got like cufflinks and cigarette lighters and yes. shoes and I, all this other stuff. I love. I love how all these gadgets in this look so beautiful, high end. Yep. You know, like it's it's something that we haven't seen in a spy movie in decades because most gadgets nowadays are too function forward and they look like tech. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. whereas I love how everything in this looks like an old lighter looks like right. a looks like a an umbrella looks like you know what a, Just pen. a straight up watch like, a, or a, like pen. a really nice old pen that you know that probably costs like two thousand dollars to write with but it's actually right. a grenade you know right and the way that he goes through it you know explaining to Eggsy what everything is right and such detail the care points out the shoes yes this is oh, an Oxford. that's, this that's is when a we get that funny part where he's like do your best impersonation of a of a German of a German uh, of a German officer. Yeah, and, and then he does the one hand thing. under the nose and, and does the the salute and oh clicks his heels together. <laughs> and needless to say, Galahad is not amused. No, uh, <laughs> I, I was amused greatly. However, I, yes, I was too. But so they go through the whole thing. That he kicks the shoes, a pot knife pops out. It's got a, uh, a neurotoxin on it. Yes, um, of that's course. That's not foreshadowing. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, that's where you get the phone joke. What, a, like, what an interesting uh, detail to uh, talk about. The yeah, that'd be the, just, uh, very, very lethal neurotoxin. That's or you know the cigarette lighter that will blow up at a certain point in time or right. the, or the ring the that sends 10,000 volts into uh, correct or even the watch that we know already shoots darts we've seen that already but we're going to assume that's the same watch right um you know purely just to show you how cool things are no relevance later on in, in no then. way will we see all three of these pop up no no <laughs> way shape or form so after they've gone through the whole thing, as they're walking out, Eggsy tries to nick one of the uh, the lighters, and he's like, put the lighter back, Eggsy. <laughs> so great. <laughs> and he, he just walks right back, drops it, and then keeps walking. <laughs> no, no look of shame, no nothing. Yeah, he's uh, like, well, I tried, whatever. <laughs> and so when they come out of the dressing room through or fitting room three, out of fitting room one comes, uh, you know, Valentine wearing – I. I'm not well. It's a suit. Well, it's one of those things where they were they were still fitting him. So yeah, like they were still fitting him. So everything is like inside out. All the fabric is inside out. So right. it looks. But he's got the uh, he's got his, still got his sideways hat on. Oh yeah, so it looks all 
just it just looks very wonky and ridiculous. And Galahad's <laughs> like, oh, the thing you're going to, you should be wearing a top hat. May I suggest this hatter down the street? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Which like, we also own. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to tell you that. Well, thanks for the tip. I'll do that for you. Off he goes. I love that little tete-a-tete that they had. Yeah. Before they, you know, because it was definitely like that classic bond, like talking in code at each other. Yes. But, but so, not actually saying what you really mean, but kind of saying what you mean. Right. Just, because we're not in a place where we can do anything about it. Right. Exactly. But it's funny because they Valentine's there because of the tracker. Right. That Gal had swallowed. But is this where he he meets Arthur and converts him to the cause? Spoiler alert. Oh, um, yeah. Or was that something that was in the works from the get-go? See, I always wondered about that because... Yeah, that is a that is an excellent point. Like, when did that whole connection happen? Because one would think that it looks like Arthur pretty much lives there. I mean, he's the only one that's ever in the building. So... Right. Did, did he know Valentine was coming? But then that would be if he if Arthur knew it was already in it, Arthur would have already told Valentine what was happening. So I'm assuming that this is when Valentine recruited Arthur to the cause when he hmm. was there. Once he figured out who they were. Right. Or had a supposition of who they were. But I digress. It's not relevant to the movie. It's just one of those things you think about. Yeah. When you have to watch a movie twice. And you have to <laughs> and you start entertain to... yourself. <laughs> but, you know, so he gets the top hat. And, of course, there's a transmitter in the top hat, which, you know, brilliant. <laughs> um, so we move on then to what is effectively going to become the final test for our three candidates. Yes. Um, well, no, two, because the other guy's gone already. Oh, that's, remember, right, that's right. They were passed both the cons- train tracks. He, he, passed he the train failed tracks. the train tracks thing. Right. And there was really only one spot anyway. Yes. So this was like a tiebreaker, more or less. Right. And they're paired differently. Yes. Right? It's very and interesting. With Arthur, which and- I think is a little unfair, quite honestly. Oh, well, they were the only two left, right? I, well, That's you're true. right. I guess you're, no, no, you're right. Technically, he should have been with Roxy's sponsor, not yeah. Arthur. But. I, they weren't paying any money to Roxy's sponsor as far right. as an actor. And if you've got Michael Caine. Yeah, you might as well use Michael Caine. And he's the villain ish. in disguise-ish. And he gets to prove his point with right. the guy that he thought was going to fail. In it. So, I mean, there's tons of reasons. But long story short, he's been told to kill the dog. Shoot the his dog. dog. Yeah, shoot the dog. <laughs> and Eggsy's looking at the dog. And I'm going to tell you right now. I could have shot that pug easily because it's well, ugly. That was an ugly ass dog. It like was when ugly they did for the, a pug. When, if, seriously, when they did the close up of that dog, I'm like, I could shoot that thing. Like, <laughs> I would feel bad for about a month and then I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, the first time I got to fly some gadgets or do something like that, I'm like, dog, what dog? Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so Eggsy can't do it. He's just too good a person to do it. And, yeah. Turns the gun on to Arthur. Which I loved. Yeah. That was such a good little moment there. Yeah. Once he heard the was that that was after he heard the other shot, was it not? I can't remember. From Roxy's room. I, I honestly can't remember like what the timing is of that. I should go back and watch that because that is that would make an interesting point. Cause if they did it timed where he's aiming at him and then you hear the gunshot, that would be very Sort of one of those, you know, right foreshadow of of sorts, <laughs> right, right, and you know, so Eggsy looks at him, then he drops the gun, hands it back to him, 
because right. he can't do it. Basically washes out. And, and then he steals the car. <laughs> and he st- steals the car to go back home, which is hilarious. Why Why are they all driving cabs? I don't understand <laughs> why we're driving cabs. These people are supposed to be like rich. They're wearing bespoke suits. Yeah, why? but they drive cabs. I, but they I don't drive understand. Cabs. <laughs> but anyway, Roxy tries to shoot her dog and she becomes Lancelot. Eggsy gets the boot, gets in the car, drives back to his town, is going to go pick a fight with his stepdad because now he can do something about it. Right. Exactly. Now he's just as he's just as he's got this guy's piss and vinegar up and getting into the thing, the windows roll up, the car goes into (laughs) auto mode and drives him off. So he looks like an even bigger pussy now because he was talking the talk, but couldn't do anything. So now the taxi effectively was made by Elon Musk because it drives itself back to Harry's house, back to Harry's house. <laughs> and uh, it's at this point, you know, Eggsy goes back in. Harry's obviously pretty pissed off with him at this point just because he failed. And then yeah. he explains to him, you know, he he walks in and he shows him his own dog. <laughs> Which is so funny because at first, like, Eggsy thought that he literally killed his own dog. <laughs> right. At Mr. Pickles. Mr. Pickles. Which is and- so weird. Okay. Everything aside, like, who... Who does taxidermy to their pet and then puts it in their bathroom? Mm, yeah, <laughs> like it's a little that, it's a little weird. It's a little fucking weird. A little weird. Not going to lie. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny if you notice that Mr. Pickles is kind of a little ratty dog. Yeah, ugly not, ass not, dog. Not, not a big dog, though. Like uh, the So basically Galahad well, shows the same kind of dog. Yeah, exactly. Like the pug. And so... You know, here eggs, he's thinking he shot him. He's like, no, it's blank, stupid. Well, and it's funny, too, because you see this. They have this whole thing where um, Harry sort of says, can't you see that everything I'm doing is my way of trying to apologize to your father for making a mistake? And finally, like it, you can tell that it it starts to sink in. Yeah, it sinks into Eggsy and suddenly Eggsy starts backpedaling and apologizing. and, And then just as all that's happening, that's when we... You know, like all shit, all hell breaks loose. And right. And, you know, uh, Merlin kind of puts two and two together, finds out what Valentine is going to conduct that experiment at the church. And Harry's got to go. He's got to go check it out and find out what's going on. Right. Which is funny that, like, in the meantime, Eggsy just hangs out at Harry's house. Like, he's just chilling. He told him to stay there. He tells oh, is him, that what it don't, was? He says, don't move or tells him to don't leave. Ah, so he's okay. stuck. He has to stay there <laughs> right. because he just got told to and he's not going to piss him off anymore. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we cut to the church massacre scene and holy cow, that scene, which has is, been the which has been the subject of some interesting <laughs> after use. <laughs> yeah. Which I won't even get into. I'm sure people I, are well aware of it. I, I prefer not, the original version. Know. Yeah, I'll pr- I prefer the original <laughs> version from the movie. <laughs> it is on its surface what the SIM cards do. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and and you know, on the surface, Valentine basically flips the switch, and all of the SIM cards in the phones generate a signal puts everybody into 28 days worth of rage virus and (laughs) everybody loses their shit including harry who's in there and then harry goes and does that thing that harry does quite well (laughs) wipes out probably 70 percent of the people in that church himself yeah 
with every implement available. I just love right before Valentine hits the switch and he's trying to leave. And the woman is like, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to see my, I forget exactly what he says. I'm going to go see my, my gay lover. uh, uh, Who's, who's black and Jewish and, <laughs> and yes. works at and works at an abortion clinic. Yes, exactly. Like that. Something like that. Something, something to, to get, that effect. To get all their their goats on it. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, like, he gets zapped with it, and then everybody starts fighting. And since he is the obviously the most skilled trained fighter in the room, just takes over. And it is Tarantino level violence. It really is. I was, and what I appreciate. If, if there's something to appreciate about this also was I started counting rounds. I started counting shots on the gun and I appreciated when he ran out of bullets, but I was like, okay, they were actually at least thinking of that. Cause it felt like the shots went on forever, but then like, he, yeah, exactly. He, he actually did run out of bullets and then just started shoving random metal objects into people's heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he used the gun. He used a cigarette lighter to set the guy on fire. He uh, used everything. Everything. And it's I swear to a, God, I thought I saw a pool stick being used, which Yeah. But there which, were pool how, cues how on the that, wall. How or why? In a church. I don't know. <laughs> if you're gonna buy into a SIM card that drives you crazy to kill people, you can believe that they play pool there on Saturday nights and they just move the table. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those outdoor bumper pool things and it they just bring be. it in and they bring it out. I don't know. I don't know. It's a very but small church. They they have limited room. It's in Kentucky. I mean, what else is it going to do in Kentucky? <laughs> what else are you going to do? <laughs> um, from a technical standpoint, it is it's so well shot to yeah. make it look like one continuous shot, even though it's not. Right, it's multiple but it's, takes, but it, it's edited and composited in such a way that it looks like it's all one clean shot. It is amazing. It really is. It's he. I don't think he has replicated any fight scene or replicated that quality of a fight scene in any of his other movies. No, I think there was a, a scene in Kick-Ass that was relatively close. Right. But not not at that level. I mean, the technology so... between Kick-Ass and that movie jumped up enough from a CGI perspective that you could really make it. And what, like one of those things I saw in the featurettes I was watching, the editor of the movie mm-hmm. was there editing on site as they were doing it so they could figure out where they would put cuts in or what they then, maybe or maybe what they needed to still shoot so that they yes. could, so that they had the connective tissue. Yes. So that's make exactly it all work. what he said. That's exactly what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, film editor Ben Esslinger. Um, <laughs> well, that's his secret identity or his, his public identity anyway. Yes. Um, public identity. The public identity. You know, uh, even James Bond worked for Universal Imports. Um, <laughs> but export import. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a roll. Do not interrupt me. <laughs> anyway. So. There's a lot of violence happening for about oh. six and a half minutes. It, it feels goes like. on for a long ass time. <laughs> and it is, it is it, excessive, but fun. You know, yeah. You get, you get these intercuts into Valentine and Gazelle and he's so squeamish with the blood and can't watch this. And she's and like, you have, yeah. And yeah. And Eggsy. Cause he's watching it through the glasses and Merlin and Merlin. 
And, and just, I think Arthur, too. Yeah, everybody that had, was still around was watching it through the glasses and Valentine's watching it through his drones or whatever he's got. And eventually it all ends and out comes Harry from the church because everybody else is literally dead. <laughs> I know. It's just so everyone is so shell-shocked who's watching. They're just like, as, as Harry just trudges out amidst piles and piles of dead bodies. Of dead, dead bodies. And Valentine comes over with his little SWAT squad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, well, I know who you are now and, uh, you know, can't have you around. So <laughs> he shoots Harry in the head and then, and then throws up. And then promptly throws up. <laughs> he's like, I just love it. He's like, I didn't realize that's what's, what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and Gazelle's like, what, like, what, what did you, you think was going to happen? <laughs> The fact that this is so, this character is so the antithesis of Samuel L. Jackson at any kind of movie like this. I know. That's what makes it so good. Exactly. It's like, oh, you know what? Samuel L. Jackson can act. That's amazing. (laughs) Maybe we should do that more often. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, everybody's shocked. Harry's dead. Or is he? Yeah, right. <laughs> Tune in for Kingsman uh, 2. Uh, ruff, ruff, ruff. Golden Circle. Uh, Golden Circle. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> we, we, so we cut back um, to Arthur back at the shop. Um, yes. Everybody has gotten together to have the the drink, but all the other agents are off. So it's just him literally in the office. Everybody else is, <laughs> is Google Glass holograms at this point. <laughs> Right. And in walks Eggsy, you know, basically just, I think, you know, initially looking for some commiseration, mm-hmm. you know, because they're the only people that would understand right. that he died and, and what it meant to everybody because uh, Kingsman is what Kingsman is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he sits down and he starts chatting with the old man and he's like, well, I suppose you might have earned the ability to drink with us. So he gets the, <laughs> the, the scotch and he pours him the glass. And starts, you know, waxing on about things. And at that point, Eggsy notices he's got the little scar on the back of his neck where the chips are inserted on the people that are part of Valentine's program and (laughs) points out the picture Uh on the wall and asks a random question. And a little sleight of hand. (laughs) That's that's right. He basically pulls the Wesley versus Vicini trick. (laughs) Morons! Um, Comes back. They're about to get the drink. Arthur thinks he's got uh, Eggsy by the balls with some poison, but nope, switch the glasses. Switch the glasses, because he's a street kid who knows how to do that sort of thing. That's right. And he basically says, I may not know a lot of things, but I do know how to do this. What did he do? (laughs) So Arthur dies, and Eggsy knows that uh, pretty much everything is compromised at this point. Right. And so now we need to get the rest of the band back together, small as it is, so they can go save the world. And that sort of hints off too that like, yeah, we sort of head into act three. And one of the things that that I was thinking about right at this moment when Eggsy meets up with Merlin and Roxy is why didn't they go and contact other Kingsmen from other parts of the world? Yeah. But it could have been one of those things where they couldn't trust anybody. And so they decided to keep it local. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Merlin sort of alludes to that. Yeah. That they're the only ones that they can trust at this point. Right. Because who knows whether or not Arthur was in cahoots with some of the other Kingsmen from the other branches or whatever. Right. Exactly. So, well, of course, we don't know there's other branches, say, in, I don't know, the United States of America, maybe. 
Maybe. <laughs> I, you know, I don't. I, I really. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no idea. Halle Berry's not in anything like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, for whatever reason, it's just the three of them against the world. Off they go. So the final segment of this movie, which goes, <laughs> which goes super fast, super duper oh, fast. Yeah. But now what I will say, which I really appreciate is that they made it simple enough that it doesn't feel convoluted. Like, no, it's very like, straightforward, but it's just fast paced. Yeah. Like everything connects up. Like, there's never like one of those like super duper, I hate to say it, but Bondy and head scratchy moments. Like, why the fuck did they do that type of thing? Right. Like, I, I don't have a single problem with anything that happens in this in this final act as far as uh, continuity goes. There's no. some there's some super silly shit that happens, but it yes. all fits continuity. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so after Roxy and Merlin sort of understand that Eggsy was not trying to kill Arthur to take down the Kingsman. <laughs> Cause there's that quick moment where Roxy's like got a gun on him. Right. And then, <laughs> and then Merlin's like, no, it's okay. You know, Arthur was in cahoots with Valentine. So, so then they develop this plan to basically save the world. And the idea is, is that uh, Roxy is going to go up in this Star Wars era, and I'm by Star Wars era, I mean like Reagan Star Wars era <laughs> uh, vehicle, Str- th- balloon vehicle the, thing. Right? What do they call that? The strategic? Oh, oh my uh, gosh! Was there a, that was a whole acronym? Well, that, no, no. So Star Wars was what it was called, but it had it's it had a like a strategic initiative something. I forget. Oh, geez. I used to know this because it was <laughs> it was super in my head when I was a kid. I'm like Star Wars. Tell me more. <laughs> right. So then you had to find out about it. But yeah, it was basically Cold War missile defense is yeah. what it amounted to. So Roxy is going to take this <laughs> Reagan era Star Wars thing up to take. It doesn't out- look anything like the power loader from aliens. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so she's supposed to take out one of the satellites that is that Valentine's going to use to link up and create this thing that sends down the signal to all the SIM cards. And because of that delay, that will give Eggsy time to take Arthur's place at the end of the world party so that Merlin can then be there on premises to hack into the system and delay everything until Eggsy can take out Valentine. Boom. That's the plan. Simple. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Right. It's it's easy to follow. It there's no convolution. It just works. So, um, and again, also love it because it continues to build on Roxy's character. She's not just there in the background. She actually is having to overcome something because once again, she's doing skydiving, which she fucking hates. <laughs> right. So, so Roxy goes up in the inflatable balls. I mean, balloons. Because um, <laughs> good, goodness gracious, that balloon. <laughs> goodness like- gracious great balls of helium indeed indeed so anyway so in the meantime you know eggsy and merlin they fly in the uh, kingsman jet to the party and eggsy uh comes off the plane and he and he you know he's all suited and booted looks quite dashing and everything uh portraying himself as arthur <laughs> and when he's checking in he's like do you have any luggage 
Congratulations, Mycroft. You just graduated from my pilot to my valet. Yeah, cheeky. Understood? Good. <laughs> That's a great little moment. It is. So then, you know, Eggsy makes his way into the party, and I love... I love that they did the the cocktail thing too. When he walks in, he's like, which is interesting too, that he said a gin martini, not a vodka yes. martini. He's like, gin, yes. of course. Well, stare you had an unopened bottle of vermouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which interestingly enough is about how I take my martinis, basically. <laughs> That's about how dry I like my martinis as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, uh, Eggsy makes his way up to where the uh, Swedish prime minister is because he notices that he's got a, a laptop and he's he actually has access to everything. So uh, he makes his way up there and with his handy dandy little uh, watch dart and whoop, and uh, so that that gives um, Merlin access. Uh, in the meantime, one of Roxy's balls or balloons um, <laughs> bursts <laughs> and. So well, she she had almost locked on the satellite, and just as uh, she's about ready to fire, that's when the balloon pops, and suddenly she's you know like all wobbly, wobbly, and trying to re retake aim and relock in on it. Um, and then the, the this is where we get lots and lots of intercutting back and forth between these the three different players going on, and then of course uh, we run into. Um, Posh prick posh number prick one. Number one. He's back and puts a blade to because, of course, since he is posh and a prick, he's at this party um, mm-hmm. and he puts a blade to Eggsy's throat. And then Eggsy has a little bit of a fight with him. But of course, at that point, he's already yelled across the room to where Valentine is and he's a spy, yada, yada, yada. And so. <laughs> But then we get the little the shock ring to to him and knocks him out and he makes a run for it. We cut back to Roxy again. She finally locks on the satellite and fires and the missile, you know, obviously this is like dated technology that she's using. So it takes a long ass time for that missile to reach the satellite. Yeah, forever. It seems like forever, but so she's in this free fall now, which is like actually one of the moments in this movie that I actually found like I felt tense watching it because mm-hmm. they did a really good job of making it seem like she was never going to get out of that flat spin. And whenever I hear flat spin, I always think Top Gun. So I'm always like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's the worst thing. Ever. Oh, Goose is going to die again. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> So in the meantime, we see all these world leaders getting ready as the countdown to launch gets near. And again, that apolitical stance that we see where all of the leaders are sitting down, doesn't matter who it is, like Obama is getting together with his cabinet. You know, it's like, doesn't matter which side of the aisle it is. Everybody's like in cahoots with Valentine because they all suck. (laughs) 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 So so then we get some of this like first person shooter shots as Eggsy's trying to run back to the plane. Right. Like fighting all these guys and all. This is when we start getting into some almost pseudo matrixy level action where he's flipping around and like bending over backwards and shooting guys and a lot of lot of human shields being used. Um, (laughs) And he's bouncing off the the walls of the hallway, which are kind of like this fake rock 
right <laughs> like i'm at black bart's cave or something <laughs> <laughs> so anyway he's sort of parkouring off these rocky walls and and fighting all these guys but i really like the camera work because it looked like the guy was also bouncing off the walls as he's shooting yeah. as he's shooting the footage from behind him it was really cool to see like <laughs> yeah it's like they had a parkour guy following the parkour guy with the camera on exactly exactly which was really interesting which actually leads me to wonder i wonder if that's why they shot in slow motion was because maybe that was the only way that the footage was going to look not super ultra like vomit inducing shaky yeah is, absolutely is, is if they if shot any, anybody <laughs> who's watched hardcore harry <laughs> yeah it was a hard movie to watch yeah so that way if at least if it's in slow motion it, it takes away some of that jiggle that yeah. like that makes you want to vomit so <laughs> so anyway <laughs> um finally we see we cut back to roxy and she recovers and deploys her chute as the satellite finally finally blows up foiling the launch temporarily at least and then in the meantime eggsy finally makes it back to the plane where they discover that because of biometric security merlin can't actually hack the system from the airplane meaning eggsy has to go back in and basically fight everyone <laughs> <laughs> So, so at this point, it's like, I need guns, lots of guns. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So that's when we get that cool moment where they open up the back of the plane and it's like the mini version of uh, fitting booth. Fitting room three. Fitting room three. <laughs> you know, I liked that scene, though, where he's like, I'm going to need your gun. And he's like, oh, no, no. This is my gun. Yes, that's such a great moment. I he love gets, that. He gets like, no, this is my gun. These are yours. <laughs> yeah. You can choose from all this shit. Don't touch my damn gun. This is my gun. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, this is where we sort of have like this almost like a lull. Like it's kind of nice that they actually give the viewer a, a slight breather because the action does just it's almost nonstop after this. So then uh, Valentine starts to call people to get his system back online. He's like calling like, I don't know, Steve Jobs or. Oh, no, the, no. He specifically says, hey, E, can I borrow one of your satellites? Oh, so he's Elon Musk. He called Elon Musk. <laughs> to, to use the satellite. Of course, it's Elon Musk. So, so he's calling people to borrow a satellite so that he can triangulate his evil master plan, whatever. So Eggsy starts fighting his way through, but then is very quickly surrounded on two sides in this hallway. and. Uh, meanwhile, troops are mounting towards Merlin and the plane. They've got giant friggin' rocket launcher, rocket launchers and everything. And he's just like, which now I will say this in retrospect, I'm like, shouldn't have the plane have been a bit more heavily armed? Yeah. Like where are you the know? machine guns that should have been in the airplane? It's a Kingsman plane. Shouldn't have, shouldn't right. have had its own level of rocket artillery. launchers. Exactly. Something. Exactly. Just saying that's the only, that's my only little beef. Anyway, so then we cut back to Eggsy and Eggsy sort of thinking that this is the end. And through his calm, he tells Roxy, he's like, please tell my mom that I love her and, and my little sister. And but make sure that make sure that my mom locks away my sister in the bathroom and throws away the key because he knows that he's not going to make it in time. And people are about to kill each other randomly. Right. <laughs> so 
So then at the last second, though, Eggsy has this moment of brilliance, which is, again, this is, okay, I have to admit, this is another moment that's a little iffy, <laughs> little iffy. But Eggsy asks if Merlin is able to activate the implants inside everybody's head. And sure enough, he can. <laughs> And that's when we get the graduation ceremony song. And everyone's fireworks. I just love how when their heads explode, it's all like this bright paint type. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why well, that is. Hey, maybe that's what uh, what Harry got on his face when Mark Hamill's head blew up. <laughs> Some organic paint goo. <laughs> organic paint goo. I like it. <laughs> so everybody's head explodes all the world leaders basically everyone in charge of everything which is an interesting prospect right <laughs> they never talk about the fallout from that <laughs> no because when they pick it right up everything's hunky-dory yeah <laughs> so okay anyway <laughs> it's that type of movie so <laughs> and then all of valentine's troops heads explode so <laughs> that pretty much graduates us into what i like to call silly time because <laughs> from here, just get we go full matrix <laughs> with the action. So pretty much. So Eggsy's standing there at this at this door where all these troops' heads have just exploded, and he now has a clear path. But then he realizes that he's standing in front of the Swedish princess's cell room. <laughs> he opens up the little window. <laughs> he tries to unlock her, but he can't. He's like, sorry, love, gotta go save the world. <laughs> and then we get <laughs> what could arguably be the greatest line in all of cinema. <laughs> when she says, Sorry, love, gotta save the world. If you save the world, we can do it in the asshole. I'll be right back. <laughs> And wow. of course, Eggsy is extremely motivated at that point. Yes, it suddenly boosts his motivation to save the world <laughs> triple fold. So, and, and with the Swedish accent, no less. Oh, I know, like the the lilt and the. <laughs> if you save the world, we can't do it in the asshole. <laughs> so he's like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> so. So in the meantime, Valentine starts his plan back up and we start seeing the entire world kill each other to the tune of Give It Up by Casey and the Sunshine Band, <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice touch. <laughs> Absolutely is. Also, I, I actually um, I was quite impressed by the by the CG level of, of those aerial shots when everybody's beating the crap out of everyone. It didn't feel overly CG, even though it was obviously uh, CG. Right. Well, I think it was far enough away that the technology could realistically portray yeah. that, that level of detail right. without looking too fake. And his stage but, stuff, his closer stuff was really good. Yeah. Like that scene at the pub. Holy shit, dude. When that body like slams down on the roof of that car, like as yep. people are fighting all around them. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> like, not that I want to see everyone kill each other, but it was interesting. If you've got to watch it, at if least you, it was good. Right, right. So 
So in the meantime, Eggsy makes a break for Valentine, but then that's when we get the ultimate Matrix style fight with Gazelle. Right. And it is Matrix the whole like holy cow, oh. like bullet time what? flying it's, through the air, almost wire worky. Like it's Wykowski ass fuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to come up with a new button. <laughs> a Wachowski as fuck button. <laughs> so that happens, which is, uh, is it's okay. It's it's probably my least favorite fight in the whole movie. Yeah, I cuz uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I think the problem was is it was so far outside of what was more or less even the fight in the church was restrained compared to this one. Yes. Because this one was very grandiose. Yeah. Between two people and the whole, the whole, you know, flying long extended flying yeah. kick stuff. The slow which, motion, like flying through the air, it seemed like they just hung there forever and ever and ever. And it, it, it reminds me of this, uh, the cartoon Dexter's laboratory. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that from uh, the nineties, but there was a scene where he's fighting his nemesis and it was very power ranger style. Okay. And so you had, they're both in armor and one guy's like, ah, and he's all, ah, <laughs> ah, and it's just them making the, the flying kick pose with speed lines drawing past them <laughs> for like 30 seconds. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Which is basically what we got with this. Well, we got scene. that without, without the screaming and whatnot. But. Right. Exactly. But yeah. So in the end, of course, Eggsy is able to cut her with his uh, poison shoe blade and down goes Gazelle. <laughs> bye bye. And then, of course, um, people are still killing each other. And well, yeah, because and his mom is about ready to kill his sister. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the tension points was that Valentine kept taking his hand off of the biometric thing. Right. To duck or something like that. And everybody would stop. And then he yeah. put his hand back on and everybody would start up again. So which his was mother a clever was, little. It was good to amp up the tension yeah. and to keep things moving for the, so you still continue to feel the stakes, yeah, which I thought exactly. was nice. Sometimes those final acts of these kind of movies, you get lost in the motivation of why yeah. they're doing it because, because it's so it, big, right. it's hard to encompass as a, as a quick cut to this wasn't right. And it, because if he, had his hand on there the whole time by the time Eggsy would have got there the whole world would have been dead already exactly so so at least like the fact that his hand came off the thing like several times during the course of all this it gave that like oh no here it's it started again right that back and forth that like re-energizes the tension and sort of keeps it there instead of instead of becoming sort of anesthetized to to the whole thing right exactly so, so Finally, Eggsy grabs one of Gazelle's foot blades mm -hmm. and Javelin launches it through, <laughs> through Valentine, who in true Valentine style throws up all over the console. Yep. At the side of the knife and the blood through <laughs> his own heart. At the side body. of the knife and the blood through his own heart. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he saves the world and then <laughs> Eggsy can now go grab his. Uh, 
quite the prize that's waiting for him. (laughs) And of course he gets there and he can't open the door. Right. So he gets it for Merlin and you have your, you're basically your James Bond ending. Yes, exactly. Which I I have to admit when I first saw this movie and you got that view, I was shocked. Like I did not expect that level of nudity all of a sudden (laughs) I was when they showed the view that Merlin saw through the glasses Yep. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> it was everything you never saw in a James Bond end scene at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he just closes the, the monitors. He's like, oh, I'm done. Yep, done. Yep, 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 <laughs> okay, okay. Starting up the airplane. <laughs> Wee- so then, of course, we finally, we get the epilogue and uh, Eggsy returns to save his mom from the rat bastard of a stepdad in true Kingsman style back at the pub, <laughs> recreating the manners maketh man fight and, and, and <laughs> the end, the end. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've sort of conveyed all my thoughts on this movie. I don't know if I have any yeah. final thoughts per se. I just think it's, it's a fun movie. Like, I just, it's a really nice reprieve from the Bond world. Well, yeah, but without leaving it entirely. But without leaving it entirely. Yeah, it gives you that lighthearted vibe. It doesn't take itself seriously. That's part of the reason why it works so well, is that it- Absolutely. It's so tongue-in-cheek that you can just go along with everything, even an elevator that goes 100 feet below the ground. Well, I'm still having some trouble going along with (laughs) that. All right. Well, maybe that one. But I'm allowing it to let the movie (laughs) continue forward. Exactly. Great movie. I'm excited. Like, even though the the King's Man has not been doing well in the cinema so far, I am actually excited to go see it. And I am going to go try and see it really soon. Because, I mean, I'll still go. I'll go watch, you know, Ray Fiennes, like, go do, you know, Matthew Vaughn-style action yeah absolutely it looks like it's going to be quite entertaining and obviously a a fun romp through alternate history bullcrap yeah as it were that'll Um, be fun it'll be what it is i don't think it's going to be any better than the second one yeah i I would agree i don't think it's going to be as good as the first one i i don't think anything will top this one No, I just think, and I will add that it's not because that it's an origin story. I think it helps. I think that can sometimes help, but I feel like even the mission that happens in the Kingsman, the secret service is a good enough mission that it plays. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I I think that's going to my biggest gripe with the King's man is that we're trying to root it in world war one and, we bring in Rasputin and a bunch right. of these other things that take it from being a James Bond type of fantastical to just a general type of fantastical. Right. I mean, Rasputin seems to be the only villain that could possibly exist between 1916 or 1914 and 1918. Like there were no other bad guys <laughs> in World War One. Right. But, <laughs> but but the Russian monk. <laughs> yeah. So get him. <laughs> I'm like, he was the bad guy in Hellboy for Pete's sake. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> anyway, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. I have to bit of sort of dreading watching it again because I felt like I had it all kind of sorted in my head. I could replay back things when I needed to. Right. And I was pleasantly surprised when I watched it at these subtle things I didn't remember. Yes, very much so. You remember all the broad strokes. You don't remember the little bits, which actually make it 
a much better movie than other things in its similar genre. Right. Exactly. Because that's part of the thing that that makes this movie work is just that even though it is so fantastical, there's some dialogue. There's some little moments that like mm-hmm. keep it quality. Like yeah. they basically get away with those fantastical moments because there's this smarter, there's these smarter elements to it that, that sort of sew everything together. So yes. that you're allowed to enjoy the silly things without saying, well, it's a completely stupid movie because it isn't because it's very intentional where the silly moments are. Yeah. And yeah. very smart where it's everything is very intentional. Yeah, absolutely. That. So, yeah, everybody go see this movie if you haven't seen it. And yeah. why didn't you watch it before listening to this? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the whole point, isn't it? I That's what I figured. So, I mean, maybe, but, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't watch it because they're like, well, what are you guys going to put the thing on for us to watch it? Because <laughs> you guys suck. To which I reply, maybe we were testing you. maybe we were testing you but hey this was a good refresher for anybody going to see the king's man absolutely absolutely but you know if you know any of our tens of listeners want to uh tell us their thoughts on this movie please interact with us we would love to hear from you by email you can reach us at cicdeaddrop at gmail.com on instagram at central intelligence cinema uh space by underscores or on Twitter, which I am pretty active for the most part, at CIC Spy Pod. So, yes, indeed. Uh, and also, if you are enjoying the podcast, and we hope that you are still enjoying the podcast, mm-hmm. um, we would love it if you would uh, help us out by going to your favorite podcast station. Is that what they call them these days, Ben? The, the sure. podcast stations? <laughs> wherever, you're, wherever you're fine. One of them are uh, podcast stations things. Yeah, yeah, wherever your fine podcasts aren't sold. Uh, <laughs> go on out over there and help us out by giving us a glowing or if you want a mildly smoldering five-star review. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Stars. Yeah, five stars. Glowing, smoldering, uh, whatever. Smoking, Just make sure whatever. <laughs> make sure there's five. That's yes. what we're asking for. Um, what this will do will get is get us noticed by other people who may think that this inane sort of stuff that we do here on these podcasts is entertaining and want to listen to it just like you indeed Uh, so uh do your do your civic patriotic duty for the central intelligence cinema podcast and give us a good review so that uh, we can continue to bring this love and excitement to everybody else indeed indeed but with that i'm ben and i'm jason and the cic will return with more missions more martinis and more maketh the man